The subject of our conference is the will of God and the direction of God's move. So God has a move, a divine activity to accomplish his purpose. With that move, there is a definite direction. But the source of it all and the governing factor of it all is God's will. So we began last night with Revelation 4.12. As far as I know, the only verse in the Bible that tells us directly why everything exists. God created all things because of his will. They were and were created. This, of course, refers to all the positive things that exist. There's an evil source that has brought forth uh, terrible, destructive things. We're not talking about that as God's creation. But God created human beings. He was very happy to do that. He created you. That was not an accident. He decided that you would be holy, you would be without blemish, you would be before, the, before God in love, you would be a glorified son of God. He determined that before he created the universe. Amen. So God's will is what God wants. It's his intention. In his will is his good pleasure the desire of God's heart, that which brings joy to him. Based upon his will, what he wants, and his good pleasure, the desire of his heart, God in Christ made his eternal purpose, his determined intention to reach a goal. And that goal is really to have the new Jerusalem about which we sang. The new Jerusalem is a corporate married couple. Amen. The redeeming God is the husband. The city as a whole, composed of millions of glorified sons of God, is the bride. And so simply put, God's will is to have an eternal marriage in a universe designed to contain it. That is the highest enjoyment, and that is the kind of love he wants to express. Then, based upon his will, his good pleasure, and his purpose, the triune God had a council, C-I-L, with himself among the three, to determine now, how are we going to do this? Okay we're, okay, we're going to need a universe. And all of this. And, and I've, I have predestinated all these millions of people. Where will, they have to have a place to live. So it needs to be an earth. Then they have to be born. And for them to be born, their parents have to be born. And their parents' parents have to be born. And they have to be in a country, and those countries exist, and they have a culture, and they have language, and they have a government. This is an incredibly detailed plan. Only God could even think it. Amen. 
I would faint or either lose my mind if I tried to do something like this. So God's counsel is his way to carry out his purpose according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, on our side, there, there does come, there does, a point does come where we need to ask, and it's legitimate to ask, then Lord, how does this will affect me? I who was created for your will, what should I do? Well, there is a point of interface, a point of connection. It's very clear in the word, and it's very practical in our Christian life. And it is actually the turning point in the Christian life after one has been regenerated. That is the great turning point when you respond to the gospel, believe into the Lord, receive the forgiveness of sins. You are born again by Christ as the Spirit entering into you. You're baptized into Christ. You're a new creation. Then, to go on, there is a crucial turning point that should be early in the Christian life, and that is addressed by Paul in these verses, which I'll read, and then I'll identify. I exhort you, therefore, brothers, through the compassions of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service, Romans 12.1. And do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Verse 2. So we want to prove what the will of God is. Not know it, because based upon Ephesians and Colossians, we're coming to know it and understand what the will of God is. Now we're here to prove it, to demonstrate it, to express it, to live it out. And the specific step is called consecration. Amen. Consecration. And consecration is not a promise to God that you will do something. That's not consecration. So if you come to a microphone and say, I consecrate to read all the life studies in three years. I heard one dear brother do this. That isn't consecration. That is your promise to be a hero in life study reading, okay? I hope he can do it. Or even to say merely, I consecrate to serve the Lord or I consecrate to go to the training. That is okay. But there's something that must underlie that. Consecration is not a promise. Consecration is giving your consent. Consecration is giving your consent to God to work on you and in you, Amen. with you and through you. 
It's a matter of your will, not of an emotional tie that comes upon you and we're singing, touching songs. It's a Saturday night and we're all moved and out of an emotion we, we do such things. It was December 31st, I think, 1986, at the winter training in Irving. After the training message per se was over and the saints began to prophesy, there was a very significant move among high school age and early <coughs> 20s young people. So prevailing, it went on past midnight and Brother Lee was there. And scores and scores of them stood up to consecrate. They'll go to the training, they will do this, they will do that. And almost nothing came out of it. Because the basic factor of consecration wasn't there. The Lord doesn't need you to promise to do this or that. You will go there, hither, thither, and yon, whatever thither is. God is waiting for your consent. He did not create us as robots. He does not manipulate us. We're not puppets. Even though he is the sovereign God, he deliberately created human beings with a will to make decisions. We admit our will has been damaged in the fall, but we still make decisions. It was I who decided whether or not to put Nutella on my muffin instead of some kind of fruit jam, right? I made a decision. And so God operates according to a very crucial principle. And the enemy operates on a contrary principle. I begin with the enemy first. The enemy works the most when our will is passive, when we are passive. And actually many of his destructive means are to make people passive, like drugs eventually. They just affect your mind, they affect your will. You're open, passively open. And when someone is passively open, the enemy will work freely. But God does not move when there is passivity. He moves when there is a sign of the human will cooperating. And a verse we may use as an illustration is the Lord speaking to the church in Laodicea. He said... I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Amen. So he is knocking. He's taking the action. We need to hear and open the door. Even if we're sitting there, we say, who is it? He said, it's Jesus. And we say, come on in. He will not come in. 
That's not even polite for most human beings. We should get up and open the door. Let's suppose, to use this illustration, the door was open. The Lord would not walk in. He would knock on the door frame or still knock on the door. He would not come in until he is invited in. But when the door is open, the enemy will come in and go as far as he can. God, in the life of believers, works in response to their consent, which is a decision that no one can make for us. That is overreaching. I mean, I'm personally convicted there's a time when parents have to realize you can't control the lives of your adult children. They're responsible human beings. You've done the best you could. You raised them up. You taught them morality. You provided for their education. You're a pattern to them. You brought the gospel to them. But you can't control them. If God doesn't control them, how can you? When the younger son came to the father in Luke 15 and said, I want my part of the inheritance and I am out of here. I'm going where thither and yon are. The father didn't say, he didn't try to manipulate him. He didn't cry. He wasn't angry. He said, this is your decision. Then you may go. And then when the son made a decision to come back, the father ran to him. This is a crucial principle. When we are just passive in spiritual things, that will be death. It allows the enemy to damage. Now, the evil one may be trying to attack the minds of some when they hear this and say, you were passive, too bad, I got you, it's too late. We just say, enemy, shut up. Because you may wake up and you realize, whoa, I was passive. The enemy gained his ground. Now I wake up. I choose the Lord. And now I evict the enemy. I say, I negate any ground I gave to you. I have sovereign control over my own being. I command you to leave. Amen. That's why the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. You don't resist by thinking. You don't resist by feeling. You resist by will. So Paul is about to present the body of Christ as God's will. He wants this will to be proved by the believers. So he begins by saying, not commanding. Rather, he says, I exhort you through the compassions of God. He doesn't say, I charge you according to the authority of God. I have apostolic authority. Now I'm charging you. If you don't, you'll be in outer darkness. This is not the way to care for the church. 
I do exhort you according to God's compassions. Compassions are profoundly deep feelings toward others. So he says, present your body. If we don't present our body to the Lord, we haven't really presented anything. When you present your body, okay, you presented your body to the Lord to be here this morning. When you did that, you presented time to him. When you presented time to him, you presented part of your life to him. The practicality of a human being is our body. It's our body. So Paul says, present your body a living sacrifice. You present it. So no one can make this decision for you. And I believe no one ministering in oneness with the Lord would try to coerce you to do this, play upon your emotion to do this. We just present the matter to you to consider. Because we don't know how the Lord will work on us. But our response to knowing God's will is to present our body to him. <clears throat> There's one brother, the Lord covered this so the enemy doesn't instill fear. But Brother James Barber, way back around 1967, was speaking in Los Angeles, I think in a New Beginners meeting on consecration. And this brother was thorough in his dealing with the Lord. When he heard the kingdom truth, he thoroughly applied it and absolutely gave himself to the Lord. And he was illustrating consecration of our body, absolutely. And part of his prayer was, even if you want to put my body on a bed of cancer, if you want to do that, I consecrate my body to you. At the age of about 49, he died of cancer. In that year, 1984, two crucial brothers in the Lord's recovery in the United States went to be with the Lord, Brother James Barber, Brother Samuel Chang. As we gathered at the gravesite of Samuel, not long after the burial of Brother James, Brother Lee referred to them as two victors. Two victors. So Brother James died in victory at the age of 49. Three years later, the brothers he was intimate related to from the beginning I don't want to name them. Well, name one, John Ingalls, because he's with the Lord now. They rebelled. They rebelled. All of us are vulnerable. Who can say we can never fall? We can never fail. So what is love? Letting someone live to 98 and end up defeated in rebellion? or for someone to receive a believer much earlier in victory and in glory. Amen. My point is, 
we, we can be touched by the Lord's compassions to make a decision of unconditional consecration. If you can't make an unconditional consecration, then make a conditional consecration until you can make an unconditional one. After Jacob got the, the vision of the house of God, the gate of heaven, he didn't have an unconditional consecration. He says something like this, if you take care of me and you profit me and you bless me and everything goes well, then I will give part of what I get to you. <laughs> the Lord didn't say, go back home. Okay, let's just begin where we are, okay? Not where we're supposed to be. Let's begin where we actually are and do what we presently can. So if you can present your body a living sacrifice in response to his will, then you do it. If you can do it, absolutely, fine. Don't be governed by others. Don't measure yourself by others. Don't let others measure you by themselves. You are you where you are right now. You come to the Lord as you are right now and you just tell him what you can do. If you say, Lord, if you're a young person, you're 17, you say, I don't know about this. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Okay, then you tell the Lord you're afraid. You think you're the first person who's ever been scared of this? But eventually you'll realize God can take better care of you than you can take care of you. Admittedly, his way of taking care of you in many respects is different. So here we have a practical experiential response to the unveiling of God's great will. Here we are as individual believers coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, wow, what a will you have. You chose me, you predestinated me. I love you. I love you, Lord. Amen. You're not forcing me to do anything. Because of love, I make a choice. Amen. I give you my body and everything related to it. So when you give your body, you give your time. When you give your time, you give your life. Then Paul goes on to speak about the mind. And among a number of the co-workers, there is a, a particular burden concerning the renewing of the mind of our young people. That the response many had to certain events and the climate on many of the campuses is affecting their thinking quite much. <clears throat> and recently, I, I and some others had a meal with some first-term brothers, and I asked them, help me understand your generation, the millennials. And he asked, well, what is your view? I said, I don't want to have a stereotype of anything. I don't want to have a biased view of anything. But I do have the impression that you're quite delicate. You're quite, you know, not everyone, you're quite delicate. And, and it's just the things. But the point is, there are powerful forces 
affecting the minds of especially the young adults and the young people, but all of us. And that will block us from doing God's will. Even if we present our body, okay, but now what do you do? How do you work this out? You have to understand what you're doing. So we need to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Then our mind has a different understanding of events, of how God governs, of how God carries out his sovereignty, of God's ways. Then we can prove that the will of God is good, well-pleasing, and perfect. Well-pleasing. It's enjoyable. It's delightful. It's well-pleasing to God. It's well-pleasing to us. Okay, so this is kind of additional word of substance, yes, to last night so that we can relate to this monumental revelation of God's great will concerning himself, what he wants, his good pleasure, his purpose. Then the counsel on how to do it. And then after the counsel is the economy, the plan and arrangement to work everything out by the divine dispensing. So I assure you, God has a plan and an arrangement for your life everywhere, all the time. Admittedly, admittedly, things happen that we just don't understand and we can't explain. And the only one who knows is God and most of the time when you ask him, he's quiet. We admit this. And I don't try to give pat answers to this. But that's only part of the scene. That I remember talking to some young adults, even younger, about consecration. And they, they may say, well... I'm afraid that if I consecrate myself to the Lord, then I will suffer difficult things under his hand. And I don't want that to happen, so I won't consecrate. So I respond this way. If you consecrate yourself to the Lord, you will suffer difficult things under God's sovereign hand. You will. But if you do not consecrate to the Lord, you will suffer difficult things just because you're living a human life on earth. So either way, like it or not, you're just part of a fallen humanity under a curse. A plague spreads. Your immune system is weak. You're not an exemption. You can track something of that illness. So I'm not trying to, to trap 
The young people, they're, they're too smart to be trapped by an older fellow. I just want to be honest with them. Yes, there's a price. It's a sacrifice. You will suffer. But if you don't, because I want to protect myself from the God who might allow me to suffer, okay. Now you live in a human life of suffering without God. So here's your choice. Suffer with God or suffer without God. As part of our life, not our whole life. I think this is realistic. Human life is tough. So we need to consecrate in the sense of giving our consent. So we tell the Lord, you can work on me, work in me. You may direct my steps. That's the second step. I'm going back to something basic, but we need refreshing on basic things. Lord, I I give you my consent to work on me, and I give you my consent to direct my steps. So, whoa, has he ever been directing my steps? Hmm. Now, we go on to introduce the matter of the move and the direction of the Lord's move. And I begin with this question. How does the Lord move? Well, surely, in order for the Lord to move on earth, he needs to have a situation conducive or that enables his move. So he manages the world situation, the economy, international relations, all kinds of things. But that is not the move itself. That is God's sovereign arrangement through the four horses in Revelation, the gospel, but then the other three are not so good. There's war, there's famine, there's death, economic crises, all to facilitate, to advance the work of the gospel. I'm not talking about that. God moves by flowing by a stream flowing. I would like to focus on this because this is very experiential. When Brother Lee began his publishing ministry, he named the magazine The Stream. One of his earliest messages was on The Stream. God moves by flowing. And in Genesis, there's a river flowing out from the garden, parting in the foreheads to cover the earth. But actually, that river began in Genesis, Revelation 22, the river of water of life proceeding out from the throne. So the throne makes a decision concerning something that is God's will. Then God moves by flowing, by flowing. And John especially emphasizes this. And the Lord Jesus told this thirsty Samaritan woman, not easy to have a conversation 
It was purely in the daylight and, and open. With a, that kind of woman who's had five husbands, how would you relate? Would you want your son to marry a woman who had had five husbands before she got saved and was living with a man before she got saved? But then she drank living water and now there's a fountain springing up in her, flowing to everyone she meets. Well, that's an instance. The Lord came as the flowing, the, in, the incarnated flowing God to give living water to a thirsty woman who was sinning because she was thirsty. Then in chapter 7, the Lord said, is anyone thirst? This is the day of celebration. The day you got your PhD, the day you won this, the day you achieved this. The happiest moment in your life, the Lord says, I know you're still thirsty. If you come to me and drink, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. In Psalm 46, referring to the city of God, there is a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of God. So God moves by flowing. The direction of his move is the direction of the rivers flowing. So this weekend, when we speak of God's move, which will involve much outward activity, let's say that someone really has the burden to emigrate to Germany, they should be able to testify the river is thrusting me out. A river is flowing in me in that direction. I can't resist. The Lord is enforcing me. But Paul said, I'm constrained. The river is flowing. I have to go to release this river of water of life. There should be flowing in our praying, flowing in our meetings, flowing in our service flowing in our gospel preaching, flowing in our blending, flowing in our conferences, flowing in our trainings. The Lord is a flowing God. This was Brother Lee's testimony when he was asked by Brother Nee and the co-workers to move from Chifu, where Brother Lee already had a blessed work, and to join them in Shanghai after that fellowship, Brother Lee was with the Lord. He was praying, and the Lord showed him from Acts, the stream, the one flow. And Brother Lee saw that flow is flowing in Shanghai with Brother Ni, and he's able to drop everything to be in the flow. And it's a blessing when believers, whatever their background is, they see the flow, they see the river. And they set aside everything to be in the flow. But there's one brother, someone related to him is still in this area. In 1968, he touched the flow. 
He entered into it. But he never abandoned his own work and his own ministry. So he tried to carry on a work within the work. Until eventually the sovereign Lord just let him go in another direction. And the end was sad. So God is flowing. Okay. He moves by flowing. Now, there's another matter we need to see. And there is a very deep point of truth behind this. But don't be frightened by the word deep. You're well able to understand it because you're human and because you're born of God. Okay. God is omnipotent. That means he has all power. There's no limit to his power. And because God is sovereign and is all-powerful, he can do whatever he wants. Period. That is why he chose you and me and predestinated you and me all by himself. He didn't have to wait until you were around and then suggest this to you. He did whatever he wanted in eternity past. But after God created human beings with a will, God voluntarily has limited himself. Now I focus on the believers and on the churches. God has a will with a move and a direction carried out by flowing. He wants to do so many great things by flowing, but he will not act alone. Rather, he will move according to the principle of incarnation. What is that? Well, with the Lord Jesus, there was incarnation God becoming a man and God living in, with, and through a man. The principle of incarnation is that God is not working alone, but he's working with and through human beings. Okay? That's us. So in this age, the age of producing the body, the bride, and preparing for the kingdom to come. God has a move with a direction. He has a will to carry out. But he has limited himself to what we will let him do. He's willing to do this. This is the principle of prayer. You may wonder, why do we need to pray? God knows everything. He knows what he wants to do. Prayer is our agreeing with what God wants to do. Amen. Prayer is our opening to him. I learned this especially from a remarkable message by Brother Watchman Nee entitled, The Limitations of God. 
It's in the collected works. And he says, this unlimited, all-powerful God, now in space and time, temporarily, does not exercise his unlimited power. Rather, he will activate his power to the degree that we allow him to do it. So in a very real sense, we determine how much the Lord can do in our lives, in our marriage, in our church life, in one sense, in our country, on the earth. This, of course, is temporary. It's not going to go on forever. So what the Lord needs among us is people who first see this principle. God is not working alone, unilaterally. He's working in and through his people. Then we need to consider, wow, this is the case. How do I cooperate? How can I be one who releases God from this limitation. Okay, two main things. We can all do them and learn to do them by the Lord's mercy. The first is to be open to him. Just be open. Learn to live a life of increased openness before the Lord. Your being is open, your life is open. You can tell him, every part of my being I choose to open to you. You can go there. You can flow there. Your light can shine there. You can make your home there. You can shepherd me there, mend me there. So the Lord wants to flow into, uh, in us, into us, through us, And out of us. Some of us, by our disposition, when we're with the Lord, we're really open for him to flow into us. But when we're in a situation where we have the sense he wants to flow out of us to a person and share a word, oh, there is a big barrier. The Lord understands this. So, but if we give our consent to say, Lord, I am opening to you the best I can right now for you to flow into me, then flow through me, every part of my being, then to flow out of me. So, Lord, in a prayer meeting, I'd like you to flow out of me sometime. And the brothers overseeing the church need to consider, do we have a situation where everyone can release the flow? That's why we have group meetings and why we have the God-ordained way so that everyone can flow out. And you don't have certain ones in that one-hour prayer meeting praying dozens of times and others can't get a word out. 
We can flow out by singing. We can flow out by prophesying. We flow out by praising the Lord. The Tanya I'm marrying, she got saved dynamically, brought her whole family to the Lord. Now, effortlessly, she contacts people and just flows, just flows. She's on a 70-minute flight from Moscow to Helsinki to spend some time with the saints and also with me. Before the plane landed, the young woman next to her really got saved. I'm marrying a female Dick Taylor. (laughs) Or Dick Taylor is a male Tanya Tarasenko, I don't know. Well, most of us, it's not that easy. The Lord knows, he knows us. He's not condemning us. But if we give him the consent, he'd like to fully open. See, when was the last time you experience the sweet joy of bringing another human being to the Lord for salvation. What joy there is. So that's the first thing is to be open. And the second involves the will, our willingness, our willingness. I appreciated the young brother last night who would say all sincerely to the Lord, I'm not willing, I'm not willing to be willing, even I'm not willing to be willing to be willing. And you can continue the string of willings and not willings infinitely. You're coming to the Lord honestly, but underlying all the unwillings is the desire to be willing. So now we're going to begin to consider the three directions of the Lord's move, uh, and not primarily doctrinally, We will present the points of truth, but the burden is on the experiential aspect personally and corporately. So let's go through the outline now. I would like to end the message and intend to by 1135. And this will give ample opportunity for many of you to flow out. So you're sitting there. You're kind of a shy self-conscious person, but something's springing up in you and you flow. So you make a decision. This will help you. Don't reason, oh, is this the Lord or is not the Lord? Uh, Is this me or is this the spirit? You just say, Lord, I have the feeling to speak. I decide to speak. That decision will activate your spirit of faith then the Lord will flow out of you for 30 seconds and we will all be happy. Then you will sit down. Then as soon as you sit down, you'll be flooded. You'll be in a whirlpool of (laughs) self-consciousness. I actually did it in this big meeting. And then five minutes later, you'll come back to the surface and you'll know where you are, okay? (laughs) Okay, I've been there. I've done that. We're all the same. But let me mention this now. Uh, Please be free to speak in your first language. So Spanish speakers, please stand up and speak in Spanish. We need your spirit or any other language that can have a translation. Will you please do that? 
Don't hesitate. Now we come to the outline. To build up the body of Christ. So it's the building that is the direction. Not just to have the body. You know, teenage young men, they have a body, but they want to buff it. <laughs> they want to build it. That's why they, they lift weights in front of full-length mirrors. <laughs> you want to build your body. I mean, most of the young adults at these health clubs, they're not, they're not motivated by health. People my age exercise for health. <laughs> they, ex they exercise for self-glorification. Right? Anyway, that illustrates building up. So the Lord wants to build up a corporate expression. Building is the corporate expression of Christ. That's building. So building means that we are corporate, and building means that we express Christ with others. One says the direction of the Lord's move today is to build up the organic body of Christ as the organism of the process and dispensing God in his divine trinity for his full expression. To talk about the body of Christ is difficult because it's invisible. It's divine and mystical. So let me trace the progress this way. Someone gets saved and baptized through our gospel preaching, then enters into the church life and consecrates herself or himself. We cannot expect such a believer they have a crystal clear vision of the mystical body of Christ. But the divine life is in this one. This one is consecrated. And this one is in a genuine local church. I can't take the time to specify from the scriptures what makes a genuine local church. But the Lord Jesus is very clear when he said, tell it to the church. In Revelation 1, he said, send it to the seven churches, and he named seven cities. So in the Lord's view, there's one body in Christ. This body is expressed locally as local churches. So whether one knows it or not, to be in a local church is to be in the body of Christ practically. But it may be somewhat like a newborn who's in a family. The infant has no realization of either who he is or where he is, but eventually realizes there's other people and there's mommy and there's daddy and they should say mommy first. Mommy did all the labor. 
So that should be the first word, right? We agree. And so then eventually they realize it's not just this family. I mean, my parents bring me to meetings and there are all, all these people and, they, and all these people come into our house once a week and, and they sing and they're happy. And then she finds out she's in a society and she's in a country. So it's someone like this. <clears throat> you're saved, you're baptized, you're in the church, and you understand certain things, but it's okay. You don't realize really what's going on. And we didn't either in the 60s. So we sang hymns like, We'll stand right here till Jesus comes, standing on the local ground. Right. We, just, we just saw local churches. When we migrated in 1970, I didn't see the body. We could see local churches because they're visible. They're, they're practical. But from God's point of view, these local churches that are visible and practical are the procedure for him to produce something universal, mystical, and real, and practical in a different sense, in an inward spiritual sense. In Matthew 16, the Lord said, I will build my church. The words my church refer to this universal church, including all believers in all places at all times. Paul later calls my church the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the universal church in which all believers are members. But the Lord said, I will build it. I will build it. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So that indicates the Lord's determination and the enemy's opposition. So the Lord wants to build up the body. And we'll see from the outline how this happens intrinsically. So first we get saved, and then if we're under the Lord's mercy, we're not saved into a sect or to a religious group, or if we are, the Lord shepherds us out. So now we're in the local churches, which are expressions of the body, and we find ourselves in a universal fellowship. That's why it's good to come every now and then to a live semi-annual training and just be together with 5,000 saints from all over the earth and have a sense of what you're involved in, how wonderful it is. Key point two, the highest peak in God's economy is the reality of the body of Christ. God's economy is his plan and arrangement to dispense himself into us to produce this invisible, mystical body that's expressed as local churches. God's aim 
and his economy is for us, his chosen people, chosen and redeemed people, to have his life and nature inwardly and his image and dominion outwardly. That's why we were created. We were created for God's will, and God's will is okay. I want you to express me. That's what I want. I want you to bring you to the point where when others meet you, they meet me shining out of you. That's image. And I want you to exercise, to represent me with my authority to exercise dominion and deal with the enemy. So this is kind of an illustration from the old creation, but it seems that often females, although the gender confusion is changing things, they don't understand why the males just you know, like to go at it. There's just something in us that wants to fight. Well, we know we're fallen, but we were created to deal with the enemy. That's part of being a human being. Human beings, in the sight of God, that are recovered, express God and represent him. Male and female. It said, male and female, he created them. That, this one verse is under attack massively. Male and female, he created them. So God, okay, B, God is working himself into us to make us the same as he is in life and nature, but not in the Godhead. Do you not consider every part of your body part of you? If someone were stepping on your big toe, what's the anatomical term? Is that a tarsal? Is it what do you call a toe? Okay, if someone is stepping on your big toe, you won't say, please remove your foot from that toe there on the floor. You say, don't step on me. Brothers, have you ever, you're trying to warm up your wife, so you just gently put your hand on her shoulder and she says, don't touch me. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, sisters, what are we supposed to do now? Have mercy on us. What are we, what's the next step? So every part of our body is really part of what we consider me. And every part of the body of Christ as the Lord's own word to Paul says, is part of what he considers me. He said, Paul, why do you persecute me? It's a good thing he didn't reason to say, you cannot support that assertion. I'm not persecuting you. I'm trying to kill these believers here. And the Lord said, that's what I meant. They're part of me. You touch them. You touch me. Then, Boom. Paul saw the body, the corporate Christ, this me. So to be part of the body, we have to be the same as God in life and nature, but not in the Godhead. God is omnipresent. I'm only right here. 
I can't be in my house in Anaheim. Your children, don't they have the same human life and nature as you? I rest my case. We're children of God. We have the life and nature of God. But my children don't have my fatherhood. I don't have God's Godhood. I just have God's life and nature. So do you. Amen. The spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. We're not adopted. You know, just let me play with the theologians a little who don't believe really in regeneration. They say God adopted you legally. Okay, the Bible talks about children of the devil. So does the devil go around adopting people? The Lord said in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. No, we have actually been born of God to have the life and nature of God. Eventually, we will become a corporate entity, the body of Christ, to be one with him and to live him for his corporate expression. A little word about expression. Our spirit is the organ to contact God, receive God, and contain God. Our soul is the organ for expressing God. That is why our soul is being transformed from glory to glory into the same image. 2 Corinthians 3.18. So part of God's will to have the corporate expression includes his will to transform us. So here's the situation involving the transformation of our soul. It's not if this happens. That was decided in eternity past. Your soul will be transformed either during your lifetime or during the age of the kingdom. That's the choice. Okay? Well, if we're enlightened and you compare, okay, how, how does it like the longest person live? Maybe they might be 112, 115 in this age. Compared to a thousand years, okay? Just be sober, count the costs. The length of my human life compared to a thousand years. So when will I consent to be transformed in my soul for the corporate expression of Christ? I think the reasonable thing is to choose now Amen. rather than later. Because in order to have a corporate expression, each one of us must be transformed in soul to express the Christ who is the spirit in our spirit. See, the reality of the body of Christ is the corporate, there shouldn't be a comma there, that's my mistake. The corporate, oh no, it is correct. The corporate Christ magnifying God man living. This reality will close this age, the age of the church and will bring Christ back for him to take, possess, and rule over this earth in the kingdom age. So the Lord wants the reality of the body, that is the corporate God-man living, in which we all are allowing Christ to be expressed through 
our humanity increasingly. You don't promise to do this. You don't make up your mind to do this. Please don't beat yourself up when you don't do this. Just to say, Lord, please transform me for your corporate expression. Lord, grow in me for the body of Christ. So the reality of the body is the corporate Christ-magnifying God-man living. A group of people whose love for one another, that's what the Lord said in John 13, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And that one another is without any kind of distinction, any kind of partiality. Every believer who comes into our midst, regardless of the background, should immediately sense love here. We love you because God loves you. We love you because you're our brother and sister. Simple. We have no questions. We have no standards. And this love, which is the highest development of the divine life, according to 2 Peter 1, is our living out of the Christ who dwells in our spirit. And it's because of this love that we serve. I was deeply touched, deeply touched Thursday night in the gathering of some serving ones who were serving sacrificially for a certain event. And in their prayers, they were thanking the Lord for the opportunity to serve. They dedicated a couple hours extra on the Thursday evening to come together and prepare for this event. And they're just thanking the Lord for the opportunity to serve. That's love. That's the first works. And the Lord will bring all kinds of ordinary human beings into local churches and work on the open ones until we corporately express him. Not just in meetings, in our living, in our work. You work with a lot of tough guys who have their unique vocabulary, right? They're not ashamed to curse, to blaspheme, to utter all kinds of things. And it probably wouldn't help them if you just got angry and said, shut up. But over time, if they see Christ shining out of you, I guarantee you, someone's going to get saved. And the first change in his life will be his lips. He cannot blaspheme the name of the Lord any longer. You're well able to do this. Actually, you're doing it already. Yeah, you're doing it already. We just encourage you to let the Lord flow out of you more. Okay, three. The body of Christ is the intrinsic significance of the church. We like this word intrinsic because it refers to the essential significance. Not the outward appearance. The essential significance. The most crucial aspect of it. The church of God is the frame. The body of Christ is the organism. 
So the church in Phoenix is a frame, and all the believers and their humanity are part of this frame. So initially, you meet the people that are the framework of the church. But the content is something organic that you can't see directly, but which is expressed. You sense life here. You sense light here. You sense love here. You sense peace here. You feel at home here. This is your spirit sensing something divine, although invisible, in this group of people. The body of Christ is an organism, both divine and human, to express Christ. Not only divine, but human. So I hope it's okay. Brother Jay asked me, are you going on a honeymoon? No, I, I appreciate interaction with Jay. He, he's an honest and straightforward person. And I just said, yes, Maui and Kauai. <laughs> Angels don't get married. Humans get married. And humans go on honeymoons. Just... Many, many times I'm asked, what was it like to serve with Brother Lee? I was not a special co-worker. I did not have a privileged relationship with him. I was one of many. But the things that I would say mainly refer to his humanity, to his humanity, to the divine life expressed in humanity. So. Again, many of you have heard this. I just take a couple minutes to share one of my favorite Brother Lee stories. It's 1968. 140 of us are preparing for our first trip from the U.S. to Taiwan. I'd been in the church only two years. Others had been no more than four or five. And the elders strictly charged us. Don't bring anything worldly to Taiwan. Don't do anything worldly. We're not going there to be worldly. And I said, okay, okay. I don't want to be worldly. My electric shaver, is that worldly? I, I'm, I'm kind of at an extreme. So we were there, and on one Lord's Day afternoon, the church in Taipei took us to Keelung Harbor. Very nice place. We just walked around there. And guess what? There were vendors selling bags of seashells. And I really wanted to get a bag of seashells <laughs> to bring home. And others did too, but we were talking. <clears throat> Worldly. <laughs> we're not here for seashells. We're here for God's economy. So I didn't buy seashells. None of us bought seashells. But this is now almost 49 years ago. I'm walking behind Brother Lee. And he has both arms at his sides. And in each hand, he has two bags of seashells. 
so I'm thinking, <laughs> eventually I'm thinking, either Brother Lee is worldly <laughs> or I'm not human. <laughs> it was just a religious concept that really was damaging our humanity. Why can't you bring back something that your wife would just like to have? It would be a cherishing to her. So the body of Christ is not only divine, we can't see the divine part, but we can see and touch the human part, and that is very endearing when it's the humanity of Jesus. Okay. The body of Christ is expressed as local churches. When the body of Christ is beyond space and time. So all the believers that are now in paradise, they're still in the body. They're still in Christ. It's beyond space and time. But when it's expressed in space-time, it appears as local churches. Four, the body of Christ is a divine constitution of the triune God with the believers in Christ, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and man are mingled and built together to become the body of Christ. So we're open for this kind of mingling, to be one with the Lord. The body of Christ is an organism, both human and divine, to express Christ. And so we must be very exercised not to bring in any organization into the church. A brother may be a CEO, he's got an MBA from Harvard, he's respected as a top executive, now he's in the church and we couldn't care less about his MBA or his CEO, you're just a brother. If you manifest the grace to be a leading one, you will be with others who don't have MBAs or are not CEOs, and the Lord will terminate and resurrect your management ability because there are no CEOs in the body of Christ. Amen. There's just one head and many members. Amen. Five, the genuine oneness of the body is a crucial point of the Lord's recovery in this consummating age. So we can't denominate ourselves by taking a name. I grew up, not just in the Lutheran church, but in the apostolic Lutheran church. But not even just in the apostolic Lutheran church, in the Finnish apostolic Lutheran church, the first Lutheran, then a small sect called apostolic Lutheran, and then the Finns come in with their strong character. Finnish! Apostolic Lutheran. We speak in Finnish. We're a bunch of blonde Finns. <laughs> well, multiple divisions. Just by the names. So we drop all names except the name of Jesus in whom we gather Amen. for the oneness. The body of Christ being organic is undivided and indivisible as Christ is. The oneness of the body in reality is the oneness of the one spirit 
as the essence of the one Lord as the element and of the one Father as the source. All the local churches need to be kept in the oneness of the body of Christ, not just oneness locally, but in oneness of the body. So it's good for the churches to come together and blend representatives of several churches. And you just have a consciousness. We're a part of one body. You may be in Albuquerque, Horizon City, Colorado Springs, Riverside, Tucson, Phoenix, wherever. But more important than that is we're all in one body. And when we come together like this, this consciousness is intensified. Okay, the growth of the body is the building up of the body. So how did your child's body get built up? Did you take a six-year-old boy to Gold's Gym and then hire a, a, a fitness trainer? It, the body is too young for that kind of thing. The body builds itself up by growing. So the Lord will build up his body by growing in us. But what is that? Okay, here's a simple definition. The growth in life is Christ increasing and you disappearing in yourself, right? It's God increasing, Christ increasing, the spirit gaining more ground. It's the natural element decreasing. It's the self being denied. And it's every part of the soul being subdued. So here's what's going to happen when you consecrate to the Lord. Lord, cause me to grow in life for the body. Only God can cause growth. Okay. So what will happen is more dispensing of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Wow, this is wonderful. This is the growth in life. Then you say, Lord, I pray for the growth in life. What is happening? You're touching me in this. You're touching me in that. You're subduing me in this. And he would say, I'm answering your prayer. I'm answering your prayer. I need room to grow. So I need to touch your natural life. I need to show you the self so you will deny it. And I need to subdue every part of you. You know the difference between being subdued and being defeated? Being defeated is to be overwhelmed by a superior force. But a nation can be defeated physically, but inwardly. They're plotting their counterattack. They're full of resistance. When you're subdued, there is no resistance. That's when you know. No resistance in your being. Okay, none of us is born like this. Like our brother testified over there last night. A determined God working on a resistant people. But he will make you. He's going to subdue all of you. Take this as a prophecy, not a threat. You will be subdued. And that's the goal in the Lord's arrangement of our environment. He wants to subdue us in some particular way. And he will not lift his hand until we have been subdued. Whatever that matter is, we should ask him why this is going on so long. Why did I have to pass through something for 50 years? 50. Some of us are slow learners in tough cases. 50. Jacob would say, that's nothing, man. I needed a, 
I needed 98 or whatever he needed. We should ask him, Lord, what are you trying to do? You may say, to get through in you. What you want is me to deal with the situation. What I want is to gain you. Will you let me? Okay. The growth of the body depends on the growth of God, the addition of God, the increase of God within us. The growth of the body of Christ is the increase of Christ in the church, which results in the building up of the body by the body itself in love. Okay, I don't flatter. I'm not political. I'm not a man pleaser. I'm not afraid of man. I just speak the truth. Today, March 4th, 2017. I was here about a year ago. Okay? There is more Christ in the church in Phoenix today than there was one year ago. Amen. There is more Christ in so many of you as I meet you. It's so evident. So evident that Christ has been increasing you day by day for 360 plus days. It's happening. When Christ enters into the saints and lives within them, the Christ within the saints becomes the church. So it's the Christ in us that's the body. The body of Christ grows by the growth of Christ within us and is built up this way. So th this is why the Lord moves by flowing and the flowing causes the growing and the growing is the building. Flowing, growing, building. Not bad for a t-shirt, huh? Especially the artistic kind. Flowing, you got a river. Growing, you got a plant. And building, you've got the new Jerusalem. Okay? So the body of Christ grows by the growth of Christ within us, built up this way. To grow up into Christ is to have Christ increase in us until we attain to a full-grown man. No parent would be content for their son to stop growing at 13. You fully expect him to grow to a young man and your daughter into a young woman. That's normal. We have to reject the lie that it's somehow super spiritual to be mature. Nothing is more normal than growing to maturity. First we grow up into the head, then we have something that is out from the head for the building up of the body. Then we end this way, the love in which the body builds itself up. That's Ephesians 4.16. The body builds itself up in love. Love is the nature of God's essence. Love is the content of God's being. We are building ourselves up in love. The love in which the body builds itself up is not our own love. So don't be discouraged if you don't like people. If you'd rather be home reading War and Peace <clears throat> than sitting in a message that's 75 minutes long, okay, that's the way you are. Or if you're just a people person, you were the most popular one in high school, president of your class, okay. You're about the same. Love or no love, it's about the same. It's all natural. So God only wants himself as our love. Amen. 
but the love of God in Christ, which becomes the love of Christ in us, by which we love Christ and the fellow members of his body. That's his own love. So in particular, as we are opening to the Lord, having presented ourselves to him, and he is renewing our mind, he will work himself into us, grow in us, but the real sign of the development will be the emergence of this divine love expressed in our humanity. And we have the same love for anyone and everyone without partiality, no preferences. And it is this love that builds up the church. Okay? This is a move. It's an inner move by flowing. Okay? Flowing, growing, building. So we have close to 20 minutes now for flowing. I leave that to the spirit and you. But I might pray, pray a little secret prayer. Lord, if you want sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so to speak right now, give them no rest until they stand up and let you flow out. <laughs> okay.